think it's in the, the spirit of black people in general. We've been through a lot in our history in this country, and we, we keep rising. We, we'll get knocked down, but we keep rising again. And I think that's just a testament to our indelible strength and, and hope. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers podcast. Here is the second half of my conversation with Sydney Ebering. We haven't mentioned yet the in, interaction between Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper up in mm. uh, New York. Mm -hmm. Now, there was no death. Fortunately, there wasn't nearly as tragic as the other people we've talked about so far. And I'm really curious to get your opinion on this. To me, that interaction was, although not as tragic, was very telling as far as the systemic nature of the problem we have here mm -hmm. and and how white people know they know know that. Mm -hmm. They know their privilege. <laughs> uh, they do. Yeah. They do. So what do you think about that? Is, yeah. Just talking about the interaction between those two folks I, in, I, uh, in New York. I think it spoke volumes. It spoke volumes. And like you said, they know the perceived hierarchy, so to speak. And a white woman who is highly valued in American society, if she's playing the damsel in distress role, she knows what type of force can be brought to bear to defend her. And she also knows yeah. the role. She knew how black men are perceived as the aggressive, criminalized individual who is attacking this innocent white female. And she played that up. And she knew it. it she, she said, I'm going to tell my life is being threatened, mm -hmm. which it wasn't. She felt unsafe and she knew she could play that card. And the, the guy was there to bird watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how non-threatening can you be? Yeah. And she was the one violating the rules right. by uh, right. having her dog off leash. Now, I can't get too hard on her because I always, <laughs> <laughs> I frequently violate the rules about keeping my dog on a leash. But it's just, to me, that incident, I think, in a more subtle way, speaks to the systemic nature of the problem. Yeah. You know, there's a direct line from Emmett Till to Chris Cooper, mm. right? Because that's the same type of mindset that got him and probably countless other Black people killed. It's a shame that here we are in 2020 and the same mindset is at, at operation here. And the unfortunate thing, and hopefully Amy Cooper, kind of outside the glaring attention of the press, is doing some soul searching. But I think her reaction, uh, hopefully I'm right about this, is she, and which is often the reaction, is, well, I'm not a racist. <laughs> Took me some time to figure that out in terms of people who do what, to me, are obviously racist things, and, and, and then in turn thinking they're not racist. It's almost like some people feel like if I'm not a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan, I'm not a That's racist. Right. Racism is much more insidious and in many regards much more subtle than an overt member of the Klan or white supremacist group or what have you. But you, you see these conversations played out where a white person would do something that's racist and respond like, she did and say, I'm not. And it took me a minute to come to terms that in their heart of heart, some white people really believe that. And it's because sure. of, in my opinion, it's because of implicit bias. It's because they have an unconscious racism almost. And I'm not saying this applies to Amy Cooper because I think she knew exactly what she was doing. But there are some folks, you know, who do clutch their purses when a black person walks by, lock their doors and do mm -hmm. those type of things that to me as a black man is very offensive and can come across as racist, but these white people in their heart of hearts believe they're not because they're not having conscious thoughts of hatred toward black people, but they're responding in a, a way that is manifesting the implicit bias that they have. And so to me, th that is kind of where the rubber meets the road in terms of 
it's the implicit bias. It's the systematic programming of minds from a very early age that black people and black men in particular are bad. And even impacts black men. Absolutely. You walk around with that same that same bias. That's just how insidious it is. I mean, we are right. all programmed that way. This has always been a very white or Eurocentric country. And you, you see the studies of little girls, you know, little black girls, two or three years old who are given dolls and prefer a white doll over a black doll. Even that that younger age, they've already been programmed to perceive white as right, so to speak. And so it, it's it's really ingrained in the fabric of this of this country's culture. I do want to go back to when we started this discussion, the impact on you mm-hmm. when it first happened, when George Floyd was was murdered and the days following that. How is it discussed at the firm or was it discussed at the firm or is it being discussed at the firm? Yeah, it, it is being discussed at the firm. Our firm manager, Tom Griffin, sent out a very poignant email a week or two ago on the heels of it, the George Floyd tragedy in which he very eloquently expounded, look, we're not going to bury our heads in the sand and act like this didn't occur and that it's not affecting our employees. You know, and, and he acknowledged the hurt and the fact that there is systemic racism that, that still plagues this country. And so I thought that was a big step in the right direction. And of course, you know, Shar is working uh, night and day to try to put together some programs and, and things that are hopefully are going to help us not only able to discuss it and, and, you know, have these cathartic moments, hopefully bring some healing and understanding. So, yeah, it, it is very much being discussed, and as I'm sure it is all over in, in many organizations and, and firms. Did you have any uh, helpful individual discussions with colleagues? I've had some kind of off-the-record conversations, just, you know, just kind of sharing my opinion, you know, kind of what we're doing here just kind of my perception and the way I see things. Because of COVID, we're primarily working from from home, so it's not easy. Yeah, right. We're not around each right. other often enough to really have these conversations. I imagine I would have had more if we're operating under regular. Yeah, did that make it harder, Sydney, to not be, like, would it have been, I guess it could have cut both ways, right, uh, depending on your conversations. But was it more challenging to not be in the office, to be able to get support from colleagues or be able to process with colleagues if that's what you needed to do? No, it wasn't too hard for me. The folks that I would have talked to were, were a phone call away or email away. And I was talking to some people outside of the firm and I reached out to to a young lady and I really want to uh, make sure I, I highlight some of the work that she's doing. Cassie Aaliyah uh, Ray, who's the founder and CEO. Of Say her name again. Cassie Aaliyah Ray. She okay. She's the founder and CEO of an organization called Serve and Connect. And Cassie's story is just, is just profound to me, very inspirational. But Cassie's husband, former husband, was a, a police officer who was shot and killed in the line of duty. I think back in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. And she just took that, you know, that hurt. And you can imagine the anguish uh, from losing a spouse, losing a loved one. And, and, you know, instead of just growing bitter and cold about the situation, she decided to start Serve and Connect, which basically is an organization who works to bridge the gap between communities, underserved communities. communities and she was color. shot. And, I don't, I don't, and we talked about this Um but she was shot by a black man, no, right? No, no, her husband. I mean, not her husband. Yeah, her, husband. her husband was yeah. shot by a black yes, man. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so in processing her pain, she just didn't look at him as her husband's killer. 
but she started trying to figure out what got him to that point. She thought about him as a as a child and that he wasn't always the person that ended up mm. killing her husband. Wow. And that was what she used to help her process it and, and turn a tragedy into something that it's very positive in where we are now with law enforcement and, and communities of color relations. People are in the state are really looking to serve and connect for answers and guidance because she's doing it. She's been doing it for years and really helping to repair the trust, the broken trust in a, in a lot of these communities. So she has police officers that are in, engaging with children of color in very positive interactions. And so you're able to see that person, uh, see that law enforcement, that police officer as a person and, and not a badge and a gun to be feared. I say all that to say in my effort to process all of this, the George Floyd killing. Part of me was going to a dark place. And I reached out to Cassie and I was like, can we do coffee? That Monday morning, we had coffee and talked and she listened. And, and I, I just thought it was it was very good for me to be able to get my thoughts off my, my chest and also to have a conversation with someone who I know who experienced much more immense tragedy than I was ex- experiencing and was able to stay positive in light of that and, and turn that into to something that's good and something that's fruitful and something that's paying benefits as we speak. You talked about hopefulness Mm -hmm. uh, early on. So I want to spend the the last few minutes talking about that. But I also want to mention a book out there that I think is an excellent book called Deep Diversity, Overcoming Us Versus Them. Mm -hmm. And it's written by uh, Shaquille Chaudhry, and he's Canadian. I think he's from Toronto. In the book, he talks about similar stories. Uh, In this case, it's the uh, indigenous folks and their relationships with white folks in Canada. But there's this wonderful story, very similar to what you're describing here, that I won't go into all the details, but... uh, just for folks listening, I'd recommend that book, both for that story and uh, for the book itself to look at uh, how it reframes the debate about racism and systemic discrimination mm. and includes tools on how to have these conversations and some of the solutions. I know you said, this is my words, but I think you said something like, you have to remain hopeful. And I've heard people of color say that before. I've heard also this was years ago, Ta-Nehisi Coates said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this is all going to turn out. This is uh, an older interview before George Floyd. Talk about your hopefulness, if you would. Yeah, I think it's just in my spirit. I think it's in the, the spirit of Black people in general. We've been through a lot <laughs> in our history in this country, and we, we keep rising. We, we'll get knocked down, but we keep rising again. And I think that's just a testament to our indelible strength and, and hope. But in the same sense, I hope I have that hope for an entire country. I mean, this country was founded on very noble principles, right? And even though they may not have applied to people of color when they were written, may not have applied to women when they were writ- written, it's still the law of the land. You can go back and you read the Declaration of Independence. You know, these are these are ideals that this country holds up to the rest of the world as something to be cherished and revered. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And that's the reason, in a sense, and I can't speak for all Black people, obviously, but for me personally, that kind of represents the greatest hurt for me is because we go around the world professing these ideals and we're not really 
living it out at home, but yet it still offers hope because that's that's what we're striving for, right? And so I do think there's an ebb and flow to all of this, as you and I, when we chatted a couple of days ago, there's an ebb and flow. I think we're going to, you know, hopefully this will push us forward. Unfortunately, it seems to have been our histories that we're going to, you know, once we push forward, we're going to get laxed and things will regress a little bit, but then we will push forward again. And that's just kind of seems to have been the rhythm of our progression in this country. Is there any difference to this situation now, do you think? I, I do think so. Like, you know, I alluded to earlier with the the fact that there are so many folks of different colors and races and ethnicities that have come out in support of this push forward for whatever reason. Um, and I guess it's just because the insidiousness of it all in terms of eight minutes and 46 seconds that this this guy had his knee on um, George Floyd's neck. It, it, it was just so tragic that it finally woke some people out of there apathetic. <laughs> yeah, there was no, and I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm just saying was there was so no cut. gray area yeah, here. Yeah, that's so clear. Right. So, there was no yes, but. Right, right, but, but, right. I've seen a number of these incidents where I didn't think it was a, a yes, but, but, but for Absolutely. whatever reason, this Absolutely. one has resonated. So yeah, I do think there's going to be some, some positive change that comes from this. At the very least, like I said, it's it's awakened some people because the majority of Americans, when it comes to these type of issues, they just kind of live in these ivory th- towers of apathy. I mean, they're just not white Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. White Americans. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, they just kind of yeah. live in these towers of apathy, and it's just like you know mm-hmm. they'll see it; it doesn't really affect them, and it's just back to our daily lives. And right. you know what Black Americans have been screaming for decades and centuries is that what you're seeing on video camera now, because cell phones are so ubiquitous, is has been happening for ever, <laughs> every day. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is not anything new. This is what we've been screaming to you, and 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 now you hopefully you're finally getting it. But some won't get it, some refuse to get it, and you know that's just life. But hopefully enough people will get it to where um, we can move forward. But it's it's going to take a lot of of really like courageous conversations. I know we've heard that term over and over again, but really listening. I think there's just a lack of empathy by a lot of folks that just refuse to put put themselves in other people's shoes and kind of, you know, walk the path that they, they walk. But for whatever reason, this, this death, and if there's anything positive to come out of it, it's, just, it's that it seems to be resonating with folks, not only in this country, but all over the world. And that's why this one feels different. So I'm hopeful. Well, I could talk with you for another hour or two, Sydney, and this has been a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you Always so much good to talk for- to you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Let's definitely reconnect soon. Certainly love to see you soon when they open the borders and I can travel to the States again. Absolutely. Let's make it happen and give my best to Chris. I know he's I know he's uh, going 100 miles an hour doing something. Yes. <laughs> he he's got a firm to run. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and say hi to Shara for me. And uh, thanks again, Sydney. Absolutely. Been a pleasure. And let me also thank Allie Edwards our producer, for for making this happen. Thanks again, Allie. You're doing a terrific job. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, 
feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Thank you.